on your PC, iPod or smartphone, this is the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Coming up on the second episode of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2018, we catch up with Wimstown VFLW coach Amy Catterall, the Wolverhampton Wolverines Sophie Morris, the GWS Giants coach Alan McConnell, the Texas Heats Aubrey Bagley, and a legend of Sydney women's football Yvette Andrews. All of that this hour on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. <laughs> I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the second episode of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2018. And just a friendly reminder, this podcast airs as a radio show Wednesday evenings from 6pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne and then is available as a podcast on Thursdays via Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. Just search for Girls Play Footy Podcast. And a quick reminder, we're also doing the countdown of the top 50 AFLW players on our girlsplayfooty.com website. And you can also follow Girls Play Footy on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Our first guest for this week's episode was a star footballer with the VU St. Albans Spurs. Then went across to the St. Kilda Sharks, spent some time as well at the Deer Park Lions. Now she finds herself as a coach of Weemstown's brand-new VFL women's team. She's having to start everything from scratch, her coaching career and the entire side. But she's surrounded by good coaching staff, and she's confident they're going to give the competition a real good shake this year in 2018. It's great to have on the line Amy Catterall. Amy, how are you? Great. How are you doing? Not too bad at all. Great to have you on the line to talk to. Many will know you as the star of the uh, St. Albans Grand Final victory over Darabin, uh, going back to 2011, <laughs> kicking uh, five in that one. Uh, how does it feel now to be hanging up the boots and now grabbing the whistle and taking over the coach's duty? Uh, it's funny. I was actually thinking about um, buying a whistle because we started on Monday. I'm like, oh, geez, I don't even have a whistle yet. Um, it's it's it's, how do I put it? It's been a great transition. I feel that it's that time in my life where you know I could keep playing football, but oh, there's this great opportunity. So I just kind of, as you would put it, take it with both hands and run with it. Indeed. I think of someone that you play with at the St Kilda Sharks, Penny Kilarich. She's also made the transition as well from player to coaching Collingwood VFLW. Is that coming to a time now, I guess, for a number of women, whether it be their late 20s or early 30s now, to sit down and go, can I make AFLW? And if I, if I can't, do I now look at the coaching route? Yeah, well, I guess that's, that's a very good point. And, um, I guess for the older girls, as we'd put it, or I'd say more mature age ladies. Um, <laughs> for me, it's, it's more my injuries have taken over and I've gone, oh, well, there's, there's no point in me keep going. And I guess with AFLW, it wasn't really a big big factor for me. It was more still playing with my friends. Um, and I would suggest that, you know, a lot of girls that are uh, aging or maturing, um, they would definitely be thinking about some sort of transition to off-field. And uh, I guess I'm lucky that I had this opportunity before it started flooding the market with all the mature age players. So um, I, I kind of took that into account um, before trying to put the boots back on this year. Can you take us through the process of being hired at Weemstown? What they were asking of you before, obviously, uh, giving you the keys to the brand new team? Uh, what did they ask of me? I guess it was uh, we kind of in- interviewed each other, to be honest. Um, they wanted uh, a great club culture. Um, they wanted girls who wanted to play football. 
and they wanted a brand, you know, they wanted a team who will uh, support the values that Williamstown Club hold. And for me, that's really important um, that my main focus is creating good club culture because it is a brand new team. And you, you could you could argue that the VFL league is pretty much brand new now um, and we're pretty much starting from scratch. So um, for, for me, it was the, the culture that uh, that ticked the box for me. And I'm, I feel really privileged to be able to, about that for them, and um, hopefully that continues on from from this point. In, in theory, you're similar to Darabin being a, a standalone club. You're not AFLW aligned. Do you find that maybe a little bit harder to get recruits? As in, some might be trying to go to Geelong or Melbourne Uni with North Melbourne, for example, so they can try and get under the nose of the prospective coaches for the uh, AFLW season and hope they get noticed that way. Yeah, well, that's, that was definitely um, a factor um, in the recruiting phase. I guess I'm lucky enough that I've played football for a long time. So, you know, I know a lot of the girls already. Um, I know a lot of the girls that I guess you could say have always been maybe looked over, where they're, they're excellent players, they're excellent people, um, and they've just been overlooked just for whatever for whatever reason. Um, and I snuck in there and got them pretty quickly because I believe that, you know, I, I wanted to have a good good core group of leaders that will help transition the younger girls um, through their playing careers. Uh, do we know when the deadline is for you to have players signed by? Uh, for example, is there the possibility that come the end of the AFLW season, which is around mid to late March, that you're able to pick up a handful of players that may be delisted from AFLW clubs at the end of that season that are looking elsewhere for new opportunities? So uh, as far as I know, it's the, the end of March is when all the VFL teams have to send in their list. Um, and I believe that through the season, you can make 10 changes. I deliberately haven't really been um, trying to recruit uh, deliberately or picking up AFL girls only because I don't want any disruptions within my team. So, you know, with AFL girls, you're going to have to manage them and they can only play a certain amount of games where I'm really trying to keep it nice and steady um, and trying to keep the cohesion really, really tight. Talking about cohesion, you've picked up a, a number of players that you've played with over the journey. We talk about um, recent St Kilda Shark footballers, Georgia Harris, for example, uh, Sarah Chapman, Rachel Champong, a uh, player that you played with at the Spurs and the Sharks. Uh, Melissa Ashman has also joined you in the coaching ranges. Yeah, well, like I said, I'm pretty lucky that I've, I've played footy for a while and um, I noticed these uh, leaders, as, as you could say, um, and I thought, why not? Like, I'm in a position to um, snag a few really, I guess, really strong female presence in women's football, especially um, getting Melissa on board for the coaching staff. I think it's really important to try and promote uh, female coaches within the um, women's league as much as possible. So I saw an opportunity there and I snagged it. Uh, and, you know, it's no secret that I recruited a lot of uh, St. Kilda Sharks who I played, uh, who I played with last year. Uh, and that's mainly because I believe that having some sort of girls that knew each other will help with uh, the bonding with the other girls. So instead of having a whole bunch of new new people that no one, no one knows each other, I've got a cool group of girls who know each other who then are really good leaders and who are really inclusive. So that would make the transition um, for the bonding stage hopefully very easy for me. Now, we know that um, at men's level, there's obviously a, uh, a tight knit between uh, Williamstown Seagulls men's and the Western Jets on the TAC Cup. Are we going to see that synergy happen with the women's? 
Uh, definitely. Um, I, as, as a, I think the ruling, we have to pick up five um, PSC girls and they're all coming from the Western Jets for me. And um, I think, you know, situation might be that I might even recruit more than my five because um, I, I, I've, you know, I've been down there, I've already spoken with the girls and I see some really, really good talent. So um, for me, it's about improving the female football in the West um, and, you know, I think it's going to be really good having my core group of older girls and the younger girls coming through. You've had a talent ID day as well. Um, how many numbers showed up for that? And uh, what did you think of the standard that was uh, trying out, wanting to try their hand at VFLW? I tell you what, that was probably a really, really hard thing to do. Um, I know people probably don't understand the background of it, but it's um, we had over 200 applicants and, you know, I had to cut that down to 70. And, and the only way I could do that is by looking at a piece of paper and reading what people wrote about themselves. So, you know, for me, that was a really uncomfortable um, situation because I like to think that everyone can have a chance at doing something that they want to do. But unfortunately, that was that was the way it was working. So um, I had to pick 70 um, and those 70 attended the, the tryouts. And, you know, I, I was lucky enough to watch all these, all these 70 girls um, go through our trials and, uh, you know, my trials were a little bit different to most. And, um, you know, from there we picked our list and uh, we start training this Monday. I guess that's the new way that we have to look at VFLW, isn't it, for the coaches, that you now have to be ruthless. As in, for example, last year you were at the St Kilda Sharks. Anyone that walks through the door essentially gets a game. And then we're not talking at VFLW level. If you're not good enough, obviously you play seconds or thirds or the case of Seaford and Melbourne Uni, you play fourths. I guess that's harder now that you now have to have that steely resolve of you've got to tell some girls, we like you, you're great, but sorry. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that's probably one of the hardest things as a coach. You know, you got to look someone in the eye and go, hey, I know that you love playing football, but you can't play here this week or, you know, you don't make this team. And um, I find that a lot harder than maybe even losing a game. I find looking at someone in the eyes and watching the disappointment that, you know, that is the evolution of women's football now. And, you know, we've got to try our best to make sure that the girls still feel supported in their journey. The Western Region Football League will stand alone as a women's competition this year. Last year, they were tied in with the EDFL. Are you going to see, uh, I guess, yourself uh, at more of those clubs, not only just obviously a match day looking for talent, but talking to those clubs, hoping for some of that backyard talent to come through, not necessarily this year, but for 2019 going forward? Yeah, definitely. I've already made contact and um, people have already contacted me within the Western region. I think it's I think it's really, really important that we all kind of communicate. It's not about who's better than who. It's about what what can we do for these girls and, you know, what path, pathway can we put them on to make them, you know, better footballers. So um, my, I guess my job um, would definitely be making sure that the connection between Williamstown and the Western region is very strong. And finally, just before we let you go, um, how difficult is it as a coach coming in to prepare for this season, knowing that bar, say, Box Hill and Geelong, all the other sides, including Darabin, who are going to lose some of their superstars, no doubt, are going to be completely different to what was out there on the park last year in VFLW? Yeah, like I said earlier, it's, I'm pretty much a brand new league, and I guess it's kind of good because we're all kind of will be sucking each other out through the season, and um, we only play each other once except for um, we play uh, the Western Bulldogs twice. So, I mean, every time we play someone, it's our one and only chance. So everyone's going to be in the same boat because no one knows what we're going to be like. 
you know, and AFL clubs change their AFL W girls in the team, you know, every week. So I think every game that's played is going to be very different. So it's going to be a unique kind of year. Well, Amy, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy and we wish you all the very best with the early training sessions with the Williamstown Seagulls and then your first practice matches coming up in April. Now, the Wimstown Seagulls VFLW team will be playing three practice matches before the start of the VFL women's season on the 5th of May. All their practice games will be at the Wimstown football ground starting at 11.30 a.m. Three dates in April. They'll be taking on the, the Box Hill Hawks, the Essendon Bombers and the Southern Saints. More details are available at Wimstown FC com.au Time to head to the UK where of course we've been covering in depth the AFL London Women's League and also touching on what's happening with the Haggis Cup up there in Scotland. We've covered at length the famous Nottingham Scorpions from uh, North East England and how they just sweep aside any competition that they face without actually playing in a competition and about an hour, an hour and a half drive away uh, near Birmingham there's Wolverhampton. Now, men's side's been around for a while, the Wolverhampton Wolverines, and they're trying to get a women's side up. In fact, they've had female footballers there. One of them who we're about to speak to has even represented the European Crusaders, the England Vixens, and the GB Swans. We talk of Sophie Morris, and she joins us on the line now. Sophie, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy. And like we ask everyone who wasn't born in Australia, how did you first discover and pick up Aussie Rules Football? Um, well, I actually discovered it about five years ago. Um, my brother got me into it. He um, he knows um, Ian Mitchell, who is our Wolverhampton coach and the GB Swans head coach. And, um, he, you know, my brother said, oh, you know, like, you should try this. I'm playing it. And I was like, oh, I don't know if it's for me. And then five years later, I'm still playing it and still loving every time I play it. So it was definitely a good idea for brothers to encourage me to play. And what was your sporting background before uh, taking up Aussie rules? Um, it was just running, a lot of running and netball. Um, so obviously Aussie rules is completely different to netball. And so I think the running aspect helped me a lot. Um, I enjoy my fitness. So, um, but yeah, I really enjoy how diverse Aussie rules is and uh, just like getting stuck in every time. And you got national honours uh, almost immediately after you took up playing the sport. I believe uh, you originally pulled on the jumper for the European Crusaders at the Giro Cup before representing the England Vixens. Yeah, so the um, the European Crusaders, that was my my first proper Aussie Rules nine-a-side game. Um, it was in 2012 in um, Edinburgh or Glasgow, I think it was. And um, I... I had no idea what I was doing, if, I, if I'm honest. Um, but obviously, like, how the game has progressed from then. You know, 2014, the England Vixen team, it was formed. And then, obviously, that was a really great experience. We came second that year. And then how the game has progressed each year. And then last year in um, Bordeaux, we uh, became European champions. So, um, you know, great to see how the sport has progressed since then and so many came involved as well. And you represented the GB Swans, if I'm correct, at the uh, European Championships the previous year? Yes, yes, uh, yes I did. So that was 2016 and we, we won that as well and that was my first year of um, 
you know, playing 18 aside, um, previously just played nine aside because of how the league works in um, the CNE work, the CNE league works here. But um, yeah, really enjoyed 18 aside and, um, you know, like travel down to London a lot now to play 18 aside and, you know, like any game time is good. So, you know, aiming for um, a spot in the duty team for the IC in 2020. As you mentioned, uh, heading down to London, we know a lot of girls from Nottingham head down to uh, play for the North London Lions. For yourself, which London side do you suit up for? Um, so this, uh, last year I played for the London Swans. They're a newly formed team, but um, this year I am looking to uh, join the Nottingham girls um, and the North with the North London Lions. You know, I think it would be great to to push myself, and um, you know, it's a, a league higher than the London Swans, so very keen um, for that. And I play with the Nottingham girls quite a lot, so you know, I know like their style of play and and how uh, they all like to you know work on the field. So that's all good. So let's talk about women's football in central and northeast London. We've heard the story of the, of the Nottingham Scorpions who supplied a tremendous amount of players to the GB Swans and uh, on the rare occasions they do get to play together as a team, they've defeated all comers. How about just down the road at yeah. Wolverhampton? How's it been trying to get women to play for your club? Um, so, like, since I started playing in, like, 2012, um, it's been, like, me and a few other girls, um training um and then last year and this year you know we're really trying to push it we've had um you know we've had taster sessions down at local rugby clubs and um you know like bring the friend along to training so we uh we're starting to get good numbers now we're getting like at least nine nine like a training session um so we're just like pushing for that and when we've got tournaments and we're trying to enter women's teams and you know just lots of advertisement and word of mouth so hopefully uh, year of the Wolverines. <laughs> and hopefully those uh, numbers do get up where you can get to the full um, 18 aside. Um, uh, Wolverhampton near Birmingham, how has the women's scene been in, in the nearby towns when we talk about Birmingham and to the north with Liverpool and Manchester? Yeah, uh, so obviously um, I think Nottingham, um, sorry, Manchester are, um, you know, they're starting for a women's team as well. I know a couple of girls train up there who are part of the GB and England team as well and um, Birmingham, the university in Birmingham they have a full women's team so um, you know it's good to train with them as well and when they have matches they invite us down so it's not just you know like training we do get the opportunity to have the games as well with them and, and you know it's good to have that connection within the league as well. Hopefully, how far do you think away you might be from finally having a league of your own around the Central Northeast? Uh, because you've already got the men who've got, I believe, an 18 competition. How far do you reckon away you might be from getting a women's competition up? Oh, uh, good question. Um, I think uh, potential of starting it next year. Um, I don't think this year, I think, you know, we're still trying to recruit more more women to play but um you know it's becoming more popular and more women want to get involved and once you hear it or you try it you know you, you just love it instantly so hopefully next year we'll get um like decent team members and we can start a league um so sophie if people are looking to try and uh run around with the wolverhampton wolverines uh when are you guys uh, training uh, whereabouts and, and how can people get in contact with the club Okay, uh, so we're starting our 
uh, pre-season training um, end of January. Um, you know, get in touch. We've, uh, we're on all social media, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's uh, Wolverhampton Wolverines. You know, anyone of any ages can, can play and join and train. Um, and we've got a couple of uh, tournaments coming up. You know, we've got our West Midlands Charity Cup at the end of Feb and then we've got um, a family day as well that's in March so um, yeah get in contact if you want to start playing for Wolverhampton Wolverines Well Sophie thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy all the very best over the coming years with Wolverhampton and of course your ambitions for playing with the GB Swans at IC 2020 <laughs> Thank you for having me Peter you're listening to Girls Play Footy on RSN Carnival, digital radio in Melbourne and via Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. I'm Peter Holden. Our next guest is the brand-new coach of the GWS Giants. Now, he's been around the coaching caper for a while. In fact, he was the last-ever coach of Fitzroy in the AFL all the way back in 1996, and now he finds himself trying to lift the Giants off the bottom of the AFL women's table, making them a competitive outfit and trying to take some big scalps along the way. We speak of Alan McConnell. Alan, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy. How does it feel to be, after all these years, the new kid on the block, the new kid in the AFLW coaching system. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, good to do different things and uh, certainly this is uh, um, stretching my skill set and um, whilst it's the same, it's very different, so it's all good fun. Now, as many would know, of course, uh, you were uh, the coach of Fitzroy in its uh, final days um, when they were on the bottom of the table. You now have another bottom of the table side in GWS Giants, but fair to say the resources available to you are completely different to 22 years ago. <laughs> yeah, times are different. Um, when I first started coaching, there was um, two, uh, two full-time staff on the in the football department, um, uh, which meant you did a whole lot of thi- a whole lot of things. So uh, it's not that dissimilar now to the uh, to the W program, where you know re- resources are a little bit limited, and there's a finite um, soft cap, which means that uh, you need to be creative in terms of trying to get a good outcome. Let's talk about some of the players that you've picked up. You've turned over the list a fair bit at the Giants. Um, your first get, and possibly your biggest get going through the uh, trade period, was a woman who finished uh, second in the best and fairest for the Collingwood Magpies. Um, she's been a coach at youth girls level, um, coaching the Calder Cannons last year. You picked up Alicia Eva. Yeah, look, Alicia's been a great addition to our our, uh, our squad, um, and we're looking forward to big things from her. Um Obviously, um, she has a, a real passion for the game and for coaching in addition to her playing career right now. And, and we've certainly added a couple of other older heads to the group in Tanya Hetherington and uh, um, and uh, Courtney Gum, you know, who, who also you know bring great experience to our group and a level of composure that we think is important to, to build a good list. Yeah, it's interesting with Tanya Hetherington. Uh, she was a 2012 uh, Premiership fullback with Diamond Creek. Uh, coached them actually in 2016 while she was sitting out with that uh, ACL injury. Um, yeah. w- what's the thought with her? Is it just a short-term thing you're looking at the moment, just going through this season? Or because she's now in her 30s and had coaching experience, is it similar to what the GWS have done with their men, where you're looking at possibly having her for a couple of years on the list and then transitioning into some type of coaching role with 
the Giants? Yeah. Well, look, as you as you well know, the, the contracts are five months right now, so uh, there's no commitments to anybody beyond the you know the short term. But um, look, in, in Tanya's case, she was desperate for an opportunity to to um, show her wares at this level, and um, and as I said, you know, I think her, her experience uh, and her composure. And her ability to be able to teach the game is going to be important for us over the course of the season. And you picked up Courtney Gum now. She's officially recruited from South Australia, but she was originally from New South Wales. Uh, in fact, she was the first New South Wales ACT woman to be drafted to the exhibition game in 2013. Uh, you've picked her up just when she's hit some red-hot form, including taking out Best and Ferris in the Sandfall W and the old SAWFL. Yeah, look, uh, again, Courtney um, plays in a different position to the other two and, and, and provides um, you know, a leadership and a composure for us. In, in an area of the ground where we've got some work to do, if you look at the analysis of our performance last year, we really struggled in contested ball. And Kurt, Courtney is certainly a very accomplished player around stoppage, and there are certainly plenty of those in the AFLW. So um, we're looking for her to make a big contribution in that space. A couple of other players that you've uh, picked up from Victoria through that uh, trade and uh, free agency period. Uh, you picked up Madeline Boyd. He's had a very good season for Geelong VFLW. And also picked up uh, Rebecca Privatelli and uh, Pepper Randall, both out of the Eastern Devils. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, look, we think we've got a, probably a deeper list than we had last year. And those girls, um, having had experience at other AFLW clubs, um, you know, um, we think adds to that experience that we felt we needed to be become a bit more competitive across the competition. And uh, also, you managed to persuade Jody Hicks to leave the cricket aside essentially and really focus in on, on footy because um, um, she, she was touted that if she was going to play, obviously in 20, 2017, she would have. She's a welcome addition to the team. Yeah, look, I, I think if you suggested to Jodie that she's pushed her cricket dreams aside, she'd probably want to argue with you. Um, <laughs> uh, she spent five hours yesterday in the heat on the training track um, harnessing her skills. So before she came to football training last night, so uh, um, I don't think I think I think she's very passionate about being a dual a, a sports athlete, and and certainly is giving her all to, to both um, both of both sporting codes at this stage and we're delighted to have her on board as a young um, woman from rural New South Wales. Uh, in the later rounds, you picked up a couple of New South Wales players. One, in fact, was originally a Victorian, uh, Phoebe Monaghan, and also uh, Philippa Smith out of Nelson Bay. Yes, yeah, so Philippa was a bit of a surprise. Um, uh, Pippa, sorry, was a bit of a surprise in that we uh, she wasn't on our radar until a, you know, a, a tryout session that we had for girls from all over Australia, and she came in and uh, impressed us with her wares. So it comes from an area that where there's not a lot of AFL played, and more particularly not much AFLW. So, um, um, yeah, she's uh, so certainly on a fast track learning the game uh, at the elite level. Your final pick, pick 47, was an interesting one because uh, obviously us, the girls play footy, and at World Footy News have really been pushing to try and get more international footballers into AFLW, particularly at these early stages. And you went with a, a champion out of Gaelic football from Ireland in Cora Staunton. Yeah, well, um, as I said earlier, we, we that, that model that applied to the men's program was probably applied a little bit here in that Cora is, as you've identified, an elite sporting talent with elite 
um, professional attitudes and values to training and preparation, and she certainly adds a great deal to our groups. Um, she's uh, uh, yeah, she's a freak in her own sport and and up for the challenge of trying to learn our game in a massively small amount of time. You know, um, most of the guys who come out here from Ireland, you know, have a 12-month to two-year window to try and learn the game and Cora's trying to pick it up in eight weeks. So uh, a, a huge challenge um, that she's, um, you know, uh, really throwing her energy into and um, spending a lot of time here at the club, both in front of the video recorder and, and out on the training track, developing your skills and a knowledge of our game. Uh, I'm interested to, to uh, I guess, know a little bit more about the thinking behind that uh, as to go with um, um, uh, an outstanding athlete in, in another sport compared to, say, uh, one of the Irish Banshees that played at IC17 about uh, four or five months ago. Uh, if you know anything, of course, she kicks goals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you know anything about our team, we didn't kick many. I think that answers the question. Indeed, indeed. Um, also, uh, as part of other additions, uh, Hanina Zarika, who uh, starred in the uh, AFL Draft Combine. Yes, yeah, a, a young local um, talent who uh, um, we've added to our uh, rookie list and really shown exactly why she's here, along with um, uh, uh, Tate Mackle, who, another young 18-year-old who's... Um, Really um, shining on the track uh, and um, and adding um, a, a great deal of depth to our list, along with Ellie Bennett, who comes from a netball background. Netball has seemed to be the theme in this draft, with Erin uh, Hoare obviously taken by Melbourne and uh, Ashley Brazil taken by Collingwood, and yourself uh, taking uh, Al Bennett's. Yeah, we we uh, actually actually ran a uh, football session for our own um, Giants netball team here, along with our other assistant coaches. Uh, couple of weeks ago and they certainly have fabulous hands and a great feel for the game and spatial awareness. Um, obviously the, the kick is a little foreign to them but um, they certainly have many traits that are very transferable to our game. Now one name that we haven't brought up because um, she wasn't uh, picked up in the draft or traded for etc she didn't play last season simply because of that bad luck with the ACL was Renee Forth. How has her rehab been and, um, and is she now 100% on the training track all ready to go? Yeah, look, Renee has had a pretty much trouble-free preparation. She completed her uh, her rehab before our pre-season started formally, so she's basically not missed a treat. She had, uh, I think she missed two sessions just before Christmas due to her work with the uh, um, with the AFL Academy program where she works as a, an assistant coach. But other than that, she's completed every session and certainly is looking to make amends for missing out last year. Uh, Alan, taking a look back at uh, yourself at all the data that you would have collected and reviewed of the 2017 season, uh, what do you see as the Giants need to improve on the most to be able to start uh, racking up some more in the wing columns? Uh, we need to win more of our own ball and we need to kick more goals. And you've got, you've got to have the ball to be able to kick them. And so we didn't get enough of it last year. And if you look at the uh, best teams in the competition, uh, pretty good at contested ball. You look at the elite players in the competition, they win their own football. So, you know, our girls understand that if they want to become great players, they've got to have the ability to win their own football. And uh, and then on the back of that, we need to simply take the game on with a bit more gusto. It's, uh, the game's hard enough without rewarding yourself with um, some of the euphoria that comes with kicking goals. 
Alan, if we have a little look forward uh, beyond the 2018 season, we know that there's a lot of youth girls coming through in Victoria and they'll be serving those new teams that come into AFLW. South Australians are doing well. In your view, what needs to be done, I guess, at the state or grassroots level in New South Wales and the ACT to keep improving that quality of footballer that eventually gets fed through to you in the draft? Uh, I think there's a multifaceted approach required. Um, certainly, um, certainly, the uh, the uh, a close relationship with um, AFL New South Wales to um, develop a clear pathway for girls here in Sydney and across the state. I think, secondly, um, um, the development of the quality of coaching that those girls are able to access. Uh, I think, thirdly. Um, uh, um, a clearly defined second tier level of football underneath the AFLW that um, gives the um, the best girls in the state the opportunity to compete at a level that's commensurate with the, the VFL and other competitions around the country. Um, and um, I, I think the other thing is patience. You know, it, it's not going to come quickly. It's um, it's going to take time, um, but nothing worth having. Is um, you know doesn't come without a great deal of effort, and we're excited about where we're at right now. We, um, we we'd love to have more girls from New South Wales on our list, um, and that's certainly our goal going forward. But we're delighted with um, all of the imports that we've got on list. Nineteen in total that have you know put their worlds on hold to come and represent the Giants and. We hope that we can run a program that um, rewards them for the commitment and effort that they're making to our footy club to make us great. Now, if I'm correct, do you have a practice game, I think, against the Lions on the uh, Australia Day long weekend? Uh, No, it's the 20th of um, the month, so it's only a week and a half away um, here at Tom Wills Oval. So uh, a first chance for a hit out, uh, particularly if uh, spectators want to come along and see uh, how the Giants are going and how they'll look like for season 2018. Alan, thank you very much for joining us here on uh, Girls Play Footy and we wish you all the very best through uh, your first season as coach of the GWS Giants AFLW side. Thanks a lot. I'm really looking forward to it. So mark that down in your diaries, the 20th of January at Tom Wills Oval, where the GWS Giants host the Brisbane Lions in an AFLW practice match. Another AFLW practice match we can confirm uh, is happening on Friday, January 19th at 7.35pm Olympic Park Oval when Collingwood host Melbourne. So get along to that one as well and see some of the players that will now be representing the Pies, such as Jamie Lambert across from the Bulldogs and, of course, Chloe Malloy that's picked up in the draft. And, of course, uh, Melbourne now picking up Ashley Guest, who was with the GWS Giants now at the Demons, and uh, see how they're going around in their new colours. Time to go to our next guest. She starred at the US AFL Nationals in the Women's Second Division and was given the most consistent award Not too bad at all in her debut tournament. She was representing the Texas Heat, which finished third on the table in Division 2 with two wins and two losses. We speak of Aubrey Bagley. Aubrey, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy. Uh, As we ask everyone that wasn't born in Australia, for yourself, how did you discover Aussie Rules Football? Well, I work for BHP here in Houston, and I'm sure you know our corporate headquarters are in Melbourne. So we have a lot of Aussies here at BHP. 
Um, I have one guy at work, Dave Bryant, who told me about it. And then another guy, um, Robert Goosey, who actually works with me and my team. And he also told me about it. So hearing from a couple of different sources, hey, you should come, try it out. We're getting the girls' team together. And th these guys play on the guys' team. Um, I, I decided, all right, why not? <laughs> I played Oswald with them once last year, and that was pretty fun. They said it was a little more physical, and it'll be all women, so it sounded sounded like fun. And I, I grew up playing soccer, so it wasn't too much of a stretch. What was the first time you saw Aussie Rules? Was it playing Osball, or had you seen it on TV prior? Actually, I didn't realize it, but my freshman year of college, my roommate had been watching Australian Rules football, like, religiously. And I'd watch it with her every once in a while, but I didn't think anything of it. And then... Fast forward six years later, I played Osball and made the connection that, hey, I've, I've seen this sport somewhere. <laughs> so I didn't get into it way back my freshman year, but um, the first time I actually played was Osball uh, a little over a year ago. And we should obviously explain for those back here in Australia that Osball is a, a uh, mixed-gender, um, non-contact version of the game, isn't it? Usually about nine aside. We just played with whatever we had. So it wasn't as... Uh, structured, but I'd say most times we have about that many. And prior to seeing Osborne taking up Aussie rules, what was your sporting background beforehand? I played soccer my whole life. Um, I played soccer every year, college, even um, at a Division two school here, uh, Colorado School of Mines. Um, and then I also, in high school, was in lots of sports, including wrestling, which I think is something that made me not as afraid of contact and getting hit and going to the ground. What did you think of this crazy idea in the middle of the year that they were going to not only have Houston tryout days, but to try and get up a Texas team in just three to four months to compete at the Nationals? <laughs> it, I agree. It sounded pretty crazy. Um, especially our, our first day, uh, some of the girls had already been around it because their boyfriends or husbands played on the guys' team, but that only was a few girls. Um, so the first day we had, I don't know, like 12 girls show up. The next time we had about 12 girls showed up, but it was a different 12. So it was pretty inconsistent for a while, but it was growing, slowly growing. And I think it was maybe a, a month and a half out from Nationals, we realized that I think we can do it, that we can, we can make a team. Um, and we met with some of the girls in Dallas and we played up there and had a scrimmage with them. And then they came down a few weeks later and played with us in Houston. And it kind of clicked in our heads that, hey, as long as we have the commitment from the girls who are here, we can go. And, and we did. It was great. Can you give us an insight to what a conversation is like when you're chatting to a woman where you met her at the gym, whether you're at, uh, for example, a roller derby event and you're trying to recruit them to Aussie rules? How does the conversation going about trying to convince someone to a sport they may have never heard of before? Well, it's kind of, it's kind of hard. It's hard to even just explain that I play it. Uh, harder to get someone else to come and try it out. Um Luckily, a lot of my friends all played soccer with me either in college or growing up in high school. Uh, so, so they get me and my competitiveness and understand how I would be interested in a sport like that. But it's, it's even more difficult to explain a sport that no one, most people here haven't even heard of. And then why don't you come out and play with us? That, that's, that's more difficult. <laughs> 
So you jump on a plane, you go to San Diego, California, as the Texas heat in your first ever nationals. What were the expectations going into your first tournament together as a team? We didn't have many. Um, we hadn't got to play more than like eight aside, probably the whole season or practice. Uh, so we hadn't got to play full field, and every time we played, we played against ourselves. So we haven't seen any new opponents and seen any other talent other than ourselves, and, and most of us being three months into it by the time nationals came around. So we didn't expect to win anything. We were hoping to not get crushed. Uh, but one thing, we showed up in our first game and we won, and it was just kind of unbelievable that these girls three months ago didn't know any anybody's names, maybe hadn't touched a football before, We and came out here to nationals for the first time ever, and won their first game. We, had, we, we didn't win every game after that, but it, it was just pretty incredible to even win the first one and feel that good. Yes, it was a low-scoring win. I think it was four behinds to three behinds over Columbus. You must have been thinking to yourself, geez, well. <laughs> you must be thinking to yourself, geez, this must be an easy game we can win on our first go. Uh, we, we, knew, we knew it was low-scoring. We didn't, we didn't walk away from that feeling like, man, we crushed it and anything like that, but just, just the fact that we hadn't been together for very long and played the sport very long, that we were able to play as a team. And really our first game, we were learning each other and learning each other's positions and where people will be at at certain times. So we, we didn't have any opportunity prior to then to, to figure that out. It's a lot different playing eight aside than it is, is playing full field. Um, so, yes, very, very low-scoring game and didn't walk away feeling like it was easy. We were all very beat up. Plenty of people, I think there were two people that broke their fingers that weekend. Um, there, was, there was some blood. Uh, I, I know there was concussions. There was a lot of injuries. So we didn't, didn't walk away thinking it was easy. Well, you did manage to end the tournament on a winning note, defeating Baltimore-Washington Boston uh, in the final game to walk away with a uh, two wins, two loss records, third on the table out of five teams. That, that was that was pretty good. And you could see from game to game throughout the weekend, the level of play really increasing. Uh, that, that was something satisfying because then you knew that, all right, yes, it's our first year, but what's going to happen next year if this is how quickly we can get better? that if we start out next year where we're at right now, that it, it'll, I, I hope to walk away better than, than third out of five. For yourself, you ended up getting the most consistent award. Were you shocked to be able to walk away from with a medal in your first ever tournament? Yeah, <laughs> very much. Um, I'm, I mean, the, the only people we've seen play are people on my team, and I never thought I was... I, if you gave one person on my team an award, I wouldn't have given it to me. So I was very shocked to walk away with the tournament as being one of the two awards handed out. Um, I, I, I was very happy with it, and it's very encouraging and something that makes me excited to come back next year that the hard work of my team and myself, all of us, paid off for something like that to be able to award someone on my team any either of the awards. That, that hopefully we'll all be encouraged to come back next year and try to take one or both or maybe just the first place as a team. <laughs> 
Uh, for us commentating on the sidelines for the videotape, you seem to be like a natural picking up the game. Uh, how long or how often had you practiced uh, playing your Aussie rules in the couple of months that you did have to the Nationals? We would practice um, once a week, turn it into twice a week for about three months before. And that was that was all the practice I had, um, except for the one time playing Oddball before. Um, but I think the soccer background and the way you move around the field and knowing where to be and when to be and how to mark players, that, that was an easy transition. So it wasn't, although the, the game as a whole was new to me, pieces like that weren't. And, and so th- things like basketball or rugby or soccer, um, those, those kind of sports really help you develop quickly in, in Australian rules football. Um, so From your perspective, who did you think was some of the better players in the tournament for the Texas Heat? For the Texas Heat? Uh, well, Becca, our captain, uh, I looked up to her all season, and I, I will say with all honesty, I, I voted for her to be our captain because she's she is very consistent. And if someone was going to win that award, I, I would definitely put her up there. Um, probably above me for her consistency and always being there, whether it's in just a game or at practice or the events we held outside of games and practice, like fundraising events, all of those um, she showed up for and were there 100%. And Sarah, she's, I think you, you were able to inter- interview her before. She's all of 105 pounds soaking wet, but you see her pulling down girls that got 50 pounds on her. She, she's not afraid of size. She's not afraid of anything. And she picked, she played the game a little bit longer, but not anything crazy. And her to come out there like that with no fear and not worried that her size is going to work against her, she, she was another player to really watch out there. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if she came away with something next year. So what's next for Houston women's football and women's football throughout Texas? So we'll start training here probably in the next few weeks to a month and something similar to Oswald with no no crazy contact, but just to keep keep your foot on the ball, keep your hands on the ball, don't don't lose any of the skills you've already learned and um, everything we got throughout the season, don't don't let that fall and start from nothing again. And hopefully we'll return the majority of the players from last year. And I think if we're able to do that, it'll be a lot easier to recruit a couple more. We did um, a lot of the fundraising events and other events last season, meet a bunch of new players that showed interest uh, for this year. So hopefully they'll show up and, and maybe start a little earlier with us if we can recruit during the spring and summer. So as you coach nationals in the fall, we'll, we'll have a, a full team and maybe just a full Houston team instead of um, making it throughout the entire entire state, which uh, I mean, those girls from Dallas, they were impressive, so I would I would love to have them back next year. Well, Aubrey, thank you very much for joining us here at Girls Play Footy, and we wish you all the very best throughout the remainder of your footy journey. Thank you.
Our last interview for this week is with a legend of Sydney women's football. In fact, she was a co-founder of the Sydney Women's Australian Football League. She was the first secretary of the competition. She played in the first premiership with the Western Wolves. She was an umpire's liaison. She also represented the ACT. She represented New South Wales. She was a member of the team of the decade for the SWAFL All of that Sydney stuff we'll talk about in February in a special edition of our program. But this week, we're going to be talking about another of her roles. And that was on the National Women's AFL Advisory Group back in 2002-2003, more than 15 years ago, as they tried to find a way to develop and grow women's football to where we'd be today with an AFL women's competition. The legend that I speak of is Yvette Andrews. Yvette, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy diary to join us today. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Great to have you here. Now, we've talked a lot about the Sydney competition just in the intro there, but we'll get to that in a moment's time. I want to talk about the national competition. Obviously, a lot of people have talked about AFLW just starting in in 2017, but uh, from what I recall, the roadmap actually began as far back as 2002. Look, that's right. In fact, I, I think you could say the first national competitions or the first national championships really was around 2000 when you had most states involved and it grew from there. But we had a pretty significant conversation with the AFL starting in around 2002 to get their, um, get them focused on what um, women's football could really do. I guess it comes down to, um, at least uh, at the women's state league level, who spoke to who first to try and get the ball rolling of, hey, we need to try and think as a combined body here rather than obviously our own individual leagues? Look, we learnt a lot from each other at those um, early national championships. We were all on the same page in terms of getting uh, greater um, acceptance and profile for women's footy and support for women's footy. But, you know, I'd like to think that um, our president at the time, Helen Swan, who had a, a kind of a connection with um, um, with Wayne Jackson, who was the CEO at the AFL at the time, had a bit of influence there. We got them to call a meeting um, of, a, of a group of women from different states to come together as the first, um, you know, representative um, meeting of um, women across the country who wanted to see um, AFL be part of their lives. Now, as you mentioned, a couple of years before this meeting happened, the Nationals were happening. I do recall reading somewhere, I believe it was uh, Brunette Leckick's uh, great book, uh, Play On, where they talked about, um, I think Nicole Graves was uh, operations director of a body called Women's Football Australia. Um, how did that all work, work into into that structure? Look, I think people were trying to pull together groups, um, share ideas. You know, Nicole played this great role. Um, she was a powerful advocate. She was a fantastic organiser down in Victoria and I know she's still having a fantastic influence on the game. So really, um, whatever things were called, um, it didn't matter. We were we were there sharing, you know, our best kind of thoughts on how to move forward. And certainly that group was really important in hosting or helping the national championships up to that point run or the matches between South Australia, WA and Victoria, who'd been at it for longer than the rest of us. Um, but that first um, meeting, and it was pretty sure it was January 2003, um, that was the first time that I know of that the AFL themselves have said, 
yeah, we want to invest in this, we want to bring you together and we want to get some ideas about how to move forward. So it was a really big win for us and we sat down there in AFL House in the main ballroom um, and we, we pitched our claim to, you know, space on the football field basically and it had an impact. I mean, we were we were changing hearts and minds at that point. Um, you know, Wayne Jackson wasn't necessarily a believer in women's football. He he famously been quoted as saying he wasn't sure that even if women were capable of playing football that, that the Australian public was ready to see it. Uh, but, you know, in that meeting, um, surrounded by the leadership of the AFL on the walls over, over 100 years, um, we showed them footage of women playing. They went, geez, you guys are really serious about this. Um, we told them what we were planning. We wanted to have this week um, competition in Darwin that year. We needed everyone to be on board for that. And they listened and we continued a conversation that I think set some of the main steps in train that have led to um, the AFLW. It seemed to work in the short term, if I recall uh, correctly. I think you got a $5,000 grant to assist at that national. <laughs> so much money. And I have to say that um, the other person who was absolutely fantastic in this, in supporting us, was Gabriel Trainer, who was then a, com- a commissioner on the New South Wales AFL Commission when they had state bodies. Um, and from the very beginning, you know, from 1999, 2000, when we went to AFL and said, we're doing this sheet beam. She'd been saying, yep, you've got to listen to these women. They know what they're on about. And, you know, she's still there. She's still advocating for women's football and she's still one of those great um, women's um, AFL leaders that's really got the momentum happening and, and got the game to where it is today. I think if we look back at the timeline, we'd almost go, well, geez, that's a that's a bit brave to have a competition that's just started in Sydney in 2000, and then you're arguing for a national competition two or three years later. But as time would go on, we would find Gillan McLaughlin calling on for a national competition in the space of less than a year, and it happening. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I think things, you know, they go in, in sort of bursts, and you have these momentous steps. And, you know, last year before the... Um, the AFLW kicked off. We had a celebration in Sydney of the history of um, our contribution. And I went through a lot of my documents and I discovered this incredible letter that we'd written to David Matthews, who um, was, I think, the head of game development in around 2003 and four. And it, it matched out some really key steps, you know, appoint a national development um, pro- a person to a program for women, um, have high profile games that that brought the media and that kind of captured the imagination of um, of the community, which we've, we've seen in those um, Melbourne Western Bulldogs games a few years ago. Um, and we kind of mapped out, you know, develop a youth um, program and have pathways to girls into, into footy. And you know what? <laughs> I don't know if he realises, but he did it. He did all of those things along with, I presume, a whole lot of other things that have built that momentum. And, you know, when Gil made that call, and I think absolutely the right call now, I was I was shocked. I was like, how are you going to do this in a year? But when the momentum's there, you don't want to lose it, and it was the right thing to do, and they pulled it off. You were talking about a time frame there in 2003 where youth girls football, for, for the most part, besides some school girls competitions, didn't exist. We still had no. that gap where girls were playing co-ed football, stopping when they were 14, and I guess – a small percentage returning when it came to senior football or senior women's football when they were 17, 18? 
Absolutely, and we had the, there was those legal cases where the girls wanted to keep playing, and they were were banned at the age of thirteen, um, which is a horrible thing to do to somebody, you know, not to be able to play a sport that you love. We had players in our women's um, competition in Sydney that were fourteen, which you know that that would freak a lot of people out, but they had nowhere else to play. Um, and, you know, they were expected to play up against, you know, professional athletes, um, essentially, um, you know, in these, in these senior women's leagues. And not, not all of them were, but we had Olympic champions playing AFL and these were serious competitors. And yet there was nothing to bridge the gap. And that's been one of the most, um, positive, um, outcomes that I've seen. You know, Nicole Graves was a big advocate for getting, um, the youth girls programs working in Victoria, and we thought, well, you've got the you've got the numbers there. Of course, you can do it. We only had five teams in Sydney at that point, but in Sydney, we now have a fully fledged youth competition for 15s, eighteen year olds, and you know, and a, and three divisions of um, senior footy as well. So it's remarkable to think that you can get that depth in you know really a decade and a half. Also going back to 2003, we're 14 years away from AFLW. What was the outlook then towards a national competition? Was there a loose goal set in, in motion of we would like a national competition by X date or we were still looking at just going down the path of national championships? What was the future looking like from that point? Can I be really honest? I think the guys around that table were coming to terms with the fact that women were serious about playing football still. They really weren't at a point of um, visualising the future. Um, they were coming to terms with the present. <laughs> and, you know, some of those conversations were, were pretty direct and quite interesting. Um, we were having a challenge with people accepting women footy players playing a game, say, before a men's AFL game, um, match, you know, on one of the... Um, you know, the big venues, um, and that's what we were arguing for. And we were arguing for that ability to come together at a national level once a year. So, so although all of those things are central to the AFLW, we were still trying to get, we were still trying to capture the hearts and minds of the AFL at that point. And it was people like, you know, Dave Matthews, who's now, you know, the, um, CEO of the Giants who, who could see, you know, could see that, idea being so powerful in terms of growing the code, of um, getting into new markets and, you know, really engaging the community in a way that AFL has been so successful at over over the next 15 years. So, yes, (laughs) I think for all all of us, it was a dream, Um, probably a dream we didn't sort of dare to quite have at that point. Um, But those first steps were definitely the, the, you know, the path that led us to what we've got now, which is fabulous. Among those that were involved in women's football, uh, as you mentioned, the likes of Nicole Graves, Helen Swan, Danny Glatz, that were sitting uh, around the table to try and uh, come up with the ideas of what you wanted to go forward with. Uh, was everyone on board that, okay, um, if, if something in the future happened, women's sides would be part of men's AFL clubs? Was there maybe a different faction going the other way, saying, no, that we should have women's only um, clubs and we should stay separate? Yeah, that's an interesting um you know, an interesting eventuation, I guess. So I, from Sydney, we were always, we were quite independent. We did our own thing. It was great fun. We get we got to make up the rules. Um, but we always acknowledged we need to be part of the code and we went to the AFL very early and we 
got them to support as much as we could and kept proving ourselves over the next 10 years until we became part of the competition. You know, Victoria had a much stronger history of independence and they were much more sort of, they were much more formed. They were, they, you know, and I, I know there was concerns down there about them being, you know, from that perspective being absorbed into the AFL culture. It's, uh, it's just a bigger kind of more complicated political beast down there. Um, but I don't think we would ever, we were never sort of saying at a state level, this should happen or that should happen. We were trying to get an overarching vision for women playing AFL at an elite level. For us, it was the national championships on the national stage. Um, you know, now it's the AFLW, but really how people manage their, um, uh, manage their kind of local, um, politics and relationships, we sort of left that to each other. But I know, you know, that's, it's a hard thing. Like, and I've seen it myself. You know, when you create something, you don't want it to be, you don't want it to be absorbed or appropriated and, and you don't want those champions, those early um, pioneers to be forgotten and you don't want the culture to be lost. And I think that that's, there's always a tension there. But it's a national code and if we want to get, you know, have a piece of the action, <laughs> if we want to have access to the resources, if we want women to be play, paid, if we want women to have the same coaching um, and elite um, athletic development, we have to be part of that code. I, I guess that's a tricky thing for, for any sporting code going forward, particularly a lot as well that, uh, as we see in cricket and soccer, etc., with their women's sport uh, booming at the moment, that uh, as they mm. become bigger and as they become closely aligned with men, everyone's looking forward, but no competition yet's had a plan of how do we acknowledge the past and make sure the past is always there and highlighted of this it what, is what it was before we are where we are now? Yeah, that's why Brunette Lettkicks and um, Rob Pearce's book so great because, you know, the, the history goes back a long way before before I even, you know, knew what AFL was or, you know. So, um, you know, we always stand on the shoulders of the people who have gone before us and I think that's a very powerful um, a, a very powerful thing to draw on and I've advocated that to the AFL in New South Wales and they've heard it, which is great. Um, and... The wonderful thing about AFL is it does celebrate its history, so we just have to acknowledge that there's a women's history that is is older than 2017. Just as the you know the men's history of AFL is really interesting as well. And when people sort of say to me, "Oh, but the the matches were boilovers, or you know this team's not competitive," and you go, "Have you looked at the results from you know the turn of the century and the kind of um, football that was being played when?" you know, when the VFL first started. So, you know, both codes um, are in um, a constant state of change and development and it it doesn't have to be, um, you know, one or the other. It's it's a history that that contributes to that and you just you, you want it to be um, always there. You know, you want you want to um, be able to draw on that. I mean, one of the we wrote a song in two thousand and one to launch a football field, which is pretty funny, called See Women Fly. You know, I'd love it if someone would record that again and have it as one of the kind of women's footy anthems that, you know, become part of that um, that story. But, you, you know, when it comes on, you celebrate, just like the men's footy anthems um, that have been around forever. I thank Yvette very much for her time. And as I alluded to earlier, we will be catching up with her 
hopefully in February, to talk about the creation of the Sydney Women's Australian Football League as part of a special episode where we'll talk about the formation of each and every state league around Australia and trying to acknowledge those icons of women's football that allow us to be where we are at today. Now, it's time for me to get on out of here. Friendly reminder, you can find more women's footy news at girlsplayfooty.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Until next week, I'm Peter Holden and it's bye for now.